Good morning, everyone. My name is Jane Dorman, and I'm excited to be with you today. This last month, we've been taking a look at what it means to become love. We've come to the realization that simply just believing what God says is cheap, but obeying what he says is costly. We've opened our minds to the idea that serving others isn't an obligation or to do to check off our list, but it's an opportunity to cultivate an attitude of humility and surrender so we can reflect Christ's love to others. We looked at the story of the prodigal son and understand how crucial it is for us to stop calling people out for their failure and difference and share with them their identity as a son or daughter of God. Then we spent time realizing that we're all in the process of becoming and how judgment and comparison of how we live out our faith creates barriers to God's love. Jesus never said that loving like he loved would be easy. He just said that it would work. We all become what we fill with our buckets. Today, I wanna to talk to you about a popular item that finds its way into our buckets that will actually prevent us from becoming love to build the kingdom of God. So here's our big idea for today. My job is not to protect my kingdom, but to build God's kingdom, no matter the cost. Now, let me say that again, and I want you to let it sink in. My job is not to protect my kingdom, but to build God's kingdom, no matter the cost. People who are becoming love risk everything with active faith to reveal the kingdom of God to others. I distinctly remember the first time I awakened to the idea of how little control we have. I was 11, and every year my family and I would trek down to our beach house in the Outer Banks and spend a whole week with toes in the sand, ocean breeze through my hair, and all the vacation junk food I could eat. It was glorious. This particular year, the waves were prime territory for boogie boarding, and we had just purchased our first boards from the local Walmart. Alongside this, my parents purchased a bulky, unflattering life jacket. And of course I complained and griped to my dad, Dad, seriously? Why do I have to wear this thing? To which my father replied, because if a riptide gets you and pulls you out farther than I can reach, your life jacket will help keep you above water till we can find help. It will keep you safe. My heart felt unsettled. Wait a minute, what? My parents have limits? Am I not actually safe? The trust and confidence I had in my parents' provision, love, and abilities to fend off all harm quickly dissolved when I realized that my parents were mere mortals. While they were excellent in making my sister and I feel safe and cared for, there were limitations. Flash forward 15 years, and there I was, nine months pregnant and overdue to give birth to my firstborn son. I was anxious and miserable. It was a hot, muggy summer that year, and I was so over nesting, taking walks, and trying every last remedy to naturally provoke active labor. During the day while my husband was at work, it was just me and my dog alone with my thoughts, which can be a dangerous pastime. Somewhere in the fuzz of it all, I realized that soon I would be the parent. Would I be expected to know everything like my parents? Because unlike my adolescent self, I had become mature enough to admit that I didn't know anything. I started to panic. Call it prenatal hormones, the stress of impending parenthood, or the fact that I was carrying something the size of the State Fair's prize for the largest watermelon in my midsection. 
Maybe this was all a big mistake. Am I capable of creating a safe environment? Control. Do we ever really have it? The simple answer is no. But I think we build kingdoms that provide the facade that we actually are in control. And those kingdoms make us feel safe. We're kings and queens of our own individual kingdoms, each of us bearing the weight of responsibility to care, protect, manipulate the perfect picture of success. We have to get into the right schools, be a part of the right communities, buy the perfect house with all the amenities, get the perfect job to support said amenities, get involved with the right social groups, make sure we invest our money wisely so we can build up our nest egg so we can retire well at an appropriate age so we can finally enjoy the kingdom we created. We spend our days working and toiling to build our kingdoms to the best of our abilities and it's tiring. But if I do it right, the crown I wear Will shine bright for all to see and I will get all the credit or affirmations I desire. But there is another kingdom we're invited to be a part of, an upside-down kingdom that doesn't follow the rules of this world. Before we move forward in this discussion, I think it would be wise to define what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. A lot of us think that the kingdom of God is heaven, the final destination because of the grace of salvation. But if you read the full story of the scriptures, you come to realize that God's kingdom is actively happening now. God is the supreme authority and offers us the power of his grace to work through us. When we decide to follow God and accept this free gift of grace as his disciples here on earth, we have a responsibility to grow in His grace. This meaning that we grow in our ability to absorb, live and receive and experience the power of God within us so that we are empowered to do what we could not do on our own. That's where the Great Commission comes into play. God doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us to prepare his kingdom here on earth by making disciples across the world, spreading the message of the gospel in preparation for the day he returns to reclaim the earth and make it a new creation. Kingdom work is happening now. We get a glimpse of this kingdom way of living in Matthew chapter 25. Now Jesus is sharing parables, describing what the kingdom of God is like. And then he shifts gears to offer us a heavenly snapshot of what is yet to come. Now, let me just say, this is not an easy passage to read. In fact, I personally have glossed over this section of Jesus's teachings because I am afraid of what it really means if I took this seriously. And God forbid what that means for the kingdom I have built. So as we read this section together, take heart. The emotions this passage evokes is a normal human response, but Buried beneath the surface is a promise of a better way to live. So let's read together Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will gather all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. One day, Jesus is going to return, not as the helpless baby we sing about at Christmas time. He is returning as king in all his glory. He will be accompanied by hosts of angels and the nations and tribes will be gathered in his presence. Can you imagine? Then the king will separate everyone into folds like a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. Back in the day, Shepherds would herd sheep and goats during the day together. They were intermingled. They ate in the same pasture together. But at night, they were separated into their own folds. In this metaphor, sheep representing those who are considered true followers were placed on the right, which was known as a position of honor, and the goats placed on the left representing people who aren't followers in a lesser valued position. So how do we know if we're considered true followers. Personally, as I read this passage, I start to question the validity of my citizenship in heaven because per Jesus's words, I will be judged based on how well I have treated the least of these, my brothers and sisters. Based on this text, it is evident that God identifies with the least of these as those who are poor, marginalized or oppressed and considers them his brothers and sisters because they too bear the image of Christ. Do you understand the severity of this passage? Are you taking the words of Jesus seriously? Now, as I mentioned earlier, I tend to gloss over it because the message here is uncomfortable. What if the kingdom I have been so diligently building and protecting and providing for isn't the point? It's not natural to how the world operates around us. The kingdom I'm responsible for is here to serve and protect my needs, my family, my interests, my beliefs. And God forbid I run into any opposition because that's a direct threat to my kingdom. But if we are true Christ followers, is that the message of the gospel? Sometimes I think we get confused over the purpose of God's kingdom. As we read in Jesus's kingdom teaching, the kingdom is not supposed to serve me. I am supposed to serve God's kingdom by surrendering mine. 
This isn't a merger of my kingdom with God's. It's a posture of humility and surrender, allowing God to take over my kingdom and integrate it into his. Remember our big idea. My job is not to protect my kingdom, but to build God's kingdom no matter the cost. We've been talking the last few weeks about what it means to become love. And we've been referring to what we fill our buckets with and how that influences the way we live out love. As we seriously reflect on Jesus's words in Matthew 25, I think we begin to see that becoming love means our faith needs to be integrated into every single aspect of our life. We need to be like the sheep who respond to Jesus after he invites them to embrace the kingdom of God. Jesus says, go, inherit my kingdom, and the sheep respond, great, that's awesome. But wait, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or in prison? The sheep were completely unaware of how influential their actions were because their faith was completely integrated into every aspect of their life. They allowed their faith not to be just something based on knowledge, but took that knowledge and allowed it to transform their faith into acts of obedience. People who are becoming love risk everything with active faith to reveal the kingdom of God to others. Do you know what I think our biggest hurdle is to becoming love? Fear. In fact, fear, not hate, but fear is the opposite of love. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We fear we will run out of resources. We fear we will lose credibility. We fear that loving someone means we affirm them, even if we don't agree with their lifestyle. We fear the loss of power and control. We fear change. We fear because we realize we don't have control. We fear vulnerability. We fear rejection. We fear we are being manipulated. We fear differing opinions. We fear being wrong. We fear being uncomfortable. We will never become love if we keep filling our bucket with fear. We need to stop looking at each other and our differences through a lens of fear. Because when we do that, we cause disunity in the kingdom of God. We have idolized the comfort of our kingdom. We cannot properly live out the gospel message without it being uncomfortable. When we selfishly allow comfort to drive the decisions we make in our lives, we separate ourselves from the communities that are in dire need of the gospel message. For the sake of comfort, we have relocated our families to safer neighborhoods, where our neighbors look a lot like us. For the sake of comfort, the church has vacated the neighborhoods that need the gospel message the most. For the sake of comfort, we hide behind snarky social media posts or comments that attack Jesus's brothers and sisters, hurting our witness. For the sake of comfort, we stop listening to someone else's worldview. 
for the sake of comfort, we stop empathizing with the poor, marginalized and oppressed because you don't wanna admit that maybe the prosperity gospel of America is not the truth narrative we should be following. In America, somewhere along the line, we have been trained to love political power, physical security, and economic prosperity as higher goods than they are. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, may I remind you that you are a Christian that lives in America, not an American Christian. Politics matter, but it will never change the world the way the gospel can or has. When you choose to be a part of God's kingdom, you are called to live and think differently. In Luke 9.23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This idea of denying yourself and taking up your cross daily is contrary to the messages we hear day in and day out, especially during election season. The church does not exist to elect or defeat any politician. It exists to glorify Christ and grow his kingdom in the world. We need to stop thinking on an individual level and start thinking on a communal level. How are my actions effectively furthering the expansion of the kingdom of God? We need to wake up and realize the individual decisions we make on a daily basis have an impact on the greater community. Remember the big idea, my job is not to protect my kingdom, but to build God's kingdom no matter the cost. People who are becoming love risk everything with active faith to reveal the kingdom of God to others. Becoming love takes us from just reading about and thinking about God to actually thinking with God and acting on his behalf. So what does it look like to build God's kingdom as I love others indiscriminately? We need to build bridges, not walls. We need to see our differences as an opportunity to grow and live a reconciled life surrendered to the perfect love of Jesus Christ. We aren't supposed to just love those who are easy to love. He wants us to love difficult people too because newsflash, you're one of them. Truly loving the way Christ loves us is uncomfortable because it requires us to engage with the broken world we live in. If we want to truly become loved and indiscriminately love people, we need to do four things. First, first, we need to allow God to integrate his kingdom way of living into our everyday life by staying grounded in the full story of scripture. How do we do that? by reading our Bible and connecting with God every single day. If we truly believe that the scripture we read is alive, we need to start acting like it. And not only should we be reading, but we should be doing what the Bible says. Let's stop being Bible studiers and be Bible doers. When we ground ourselves in truth through the daily discipline of reading scripture, we renew our mind, our heart, and our soul, which empowers us through the Holy Spirit to live our lives faithfully, attached to Jesus's way and not the world's. Second, we need to connect with God in prayer every day. As it was discussed in our previous sermon series, Yours is the Kingdom, we discovered that prayer isn't really about my laundry list of needs or requests. Prayer connects us to the heart of God and transforms us. Yes, we can pray for provision and ask boldly for healing, but that's not the point of prayer. The point of prayer is a posture of re-examining our hearts and realigning our minds with God's purposes. If you missed that series, I encourage you to go online and watch on our website if you wanna learn more. 
Third, we need to be generous with our resources. This one is hard because we have needs too, and it's scary to give away something we think we have earned. But as we read scripture, we see that the resources we have are actually gifts given to us by God. We arrived here with nothing, and we're going to leave with nothing. Both the sheep and the goats in this metaphor don't deserve anything, just like we don't deserve anything. Everything we have is God's, whether that's spiritual gifts, talents, money, economic status, job title, you name it. While that can be scary to admit, it's true. That's where God invites us to lean into that uncomfortable fear of not having enough so we can depend on his provision daily. Perhaps the resources you have today could help or encourage or bless someone that comes across your path. Jesus is our holy example of this. He sacrificed his life in order to build a bridge so we could be in relationship with God. Are you willing to suffer or even die for your faith? The greatest story ever told is of a God who so loved the world that he chose to suffer for it. That is the kind of active, obedient faith Jesus is challenging us with when he asks us to deny ourselves and follow him. Lastly, we need to listen, empathize, and understand others' experiences and worldviews. This is an act of humility and surrender. You do not need to have the final word when you disagree with someone because you don't know how God is working in someone else's life. The only experience you know is your own, and your experience is only a small part of the bigger picture. When we humble ourselves and just listen, we cultivate relationships. Empathy shows that we care and reveals the kingdom way to others, which leads to understanding. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are the aroma of Christ too, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now more than ever, we are witnessing the pain and suffering globally. In her book, This Too Shall Last, K.J. Ramsey says, Suffering has always been God's means of rousing a sleeping world with his love. The world is in dire need of the hope of the gospel message of grace and forgiveness. Are you willing to listen and be the light in a world overwhelmed by darkness? If you're joining us today for the first time, or perhaps some of you here today, this is the first time you've heard about the kingdom of God. We want to welcome you to this space. None of us have all the answers. None of us are perfect. In fact, if you feel like you've done too many horrible things that God wouldn't accept you, let me encourage you that you are in good company here. Whether you are a follower of Christ or still investigating what it means to be a follower, this is a space that you are invited into to wrestle with your faith and ask hard questions. At White Oak, we encourage authenticity because the truth of the matter is that this faith journey we're on is ongoing. Living in God's kingdom is a daily act of obedience. Dying to our selfish desires is a discipline that happens 30 seconds at a time. Spoiler alert, we will never arrive, but we can become. That idea alone gives me hope as I continue to move forward in my faith. If you want to learn more or get connected with someone, go ahead and text CONNECT to 513-715-8111. We would love to talk with you.
the year of our Lord 2020 has been overwhelming to say the least. In fact, let's call it what it is and agree that this year has been traumatic for everyone. Earlier this year, around the time everything shut down, I found myself standing in the rubble of the kingdom I was building. I did all the right things to keep my family healthy and safe, but now an unknown, invisible enemy threatened that security. Every single day I tried to put on a brave face for my family, life had changed and we needed to adapt. At least that's what I told myself. I kept myself physically busy, tending to the needs of my children, cooking another meal, listening to music and podcasts, binging another Netflix show, trying to drown out the resounding question I kept repeating in my head. Are we going to be okay? Because I really did not know. The cognitive dissonance I was experiencing on a daily basis was too much for me to process. I knew what life was supposed to be, but this new reality wasn't even close to what I've come to know and rely on. I was a ticking time bomb, staring in the face of fears and anxiety, lurking well below the surface, waiting to be triggered by the smallest offense. I was spiraling, but God, God is good, he is merciful, and he graciously met me in my fear. He spoke to me through the words of Emily P. Freeman in her podcast, The Next Right Thing. Her calming voice was the invitation I needed to be still in the unshakable presence of my king. One particular quote she shared stuck with me, and it's one I would like to share with you today. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. You are not in trouble. God is not in trouble. In fact, God doesn't need us to protect him. He already died and suffered so that we could be a part of his kingdom. The decision is on us as to whether we want to be a part of it and share this hope of God's kingdom with others through acts of obedience. Whose kingdom are you living in today? And before you answer that, perhaps it's time to take a closer look as to what items are filling your bucket. As we continue to wrestle and reflect on what it means to be a kingdom builder, I want to challenge you to reflect on these two very important questions. Are you being pushed by fear? Or are you being led by love to embrace the kingdom of God? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This verse reminds me that fear has no place in the kingdom of God. Fear keeps us from surrendering our crowns at the foot of the cross. Fear holds us hostage. Fear keeps us from becoming love. It's not until we lean into this uncomfortable feeling of fear and allow the Holy Spirit to empower and transform us into people who are becoming love that we will truly be builders in the kingdom of God. My job is not to protect my kingdom, but to build God's kingdom no matter the cost. People who are becoming love risk everything with active faith to reveal the kingdom of God to others. Let's pick up our buckets dump out the fear, and make room for Christ's love to fill us to the brim. Like sheep, may we follow the good shepherd clothed in royalty as we continue the transformational process of becoming love together.
Let's pray. Abba, Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for surrendering your life so that you could build a bridge and we could have a relationship with you. I ask that you would ignite our hearts and that you would put a fire in our bones to spread your gospel message to those who need it most. Abba, help us to say no to fear and yes to you each and every day. Amen.